BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. Where do we kick this thing off? We got a huge topic. Mm-hmm. That gets people very uh, energized on all sides. Climate change or the lack thereof. <clears throat> Climate. I think the best way to kick it off is is it's been hot as hell. It has been super hot, like this for the last like week, week and a half, two weeks, give or take. Even out here near the studio, we're about a mile and a half from the ocean. It's usually pretty cool out here. Actually, right now it's actually not too bad, but it has been. Yeah, it's been very really warm. Warm. It, it's hilarious having a, the very warm conversation with people that live somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, so you're like, true. like I'm in Bakersfield, complaining. I'm like, I had 79 degrees, but it feels like a lot hotter than what, than what that temperature says. And like, I'm talking to people in there in the Jersey area. They're like, oh yeah, it's 96 over here right now. I'm like, oh okay, yeah. There's uh, or in Bakersfield, it was 105, right. I think. Um, there's been also heat waves uh, across the weather. I mean, the weather, the world, right? In mm-hmm. Europe, as a matter yeah, of fact, for sure. Last week, I believe it was the week before in um, in London, it got over a hundred degrees, yeah. which is really yeah. unusual. All of Europe, right, is having a big um, a big heat wave that's going over there, right? So if if you just type in heat wave in Google News, you get severe storms expected to rock New York area after heat wave. New Jersey weather: severe thunderstorms. Heat wave heat wave breaks today with passing showers and thunderstorms. Seattle heat wave on the way. Here's how to prepare. U.S. heat wave, record highs target Pacific Northwest, Northeast. So, yeah, it's hot. It's also the summer. Um, I get Yeah, I know it is the summer, but it's, 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 just, um, it's just very warm, even for the summer, is the, is the problem. Let, let's, let's maybe start with, um, what's your position on climate change? What, what, mm-hmm. What's like a thumbnail sketch of what you would say with respect to climate change, just so that I kind of know where you're coming yeah, from? Yeah, so for me, climate change, there is zero controversy that climate change exists in my mind. Of course. Well, that's not of course, because that's not, that's even that statement is, is really, is, uh, is, is one that I think people would debate. Um, you would not debate only, that, not only that there's climate change. People, people say that climate change doesn't exist at all, or that it's not caused by people. Well, you believe so both. I was going to say, yeah. So yeah. that was gonna be my second point. So yeah. one, that climate change is real, is one of my points. Number two, that we directly contribute to climate change as people, and what we do 
And my my probably my biggest point for, towards that I would say is like growing up in LA and seeing the amount of smog that was here in the eighties, how much that actually uh, impacted us. Like as I remember seeing, like literally you can see it, and yeah. and how the policies that the city, state, et cetera, have put actually have made a really big difference because as much pollution that still exists in in a in a city like LA. It doesn't even begin to compare to what it was in the eighties. I think I may have you beat on that one though, because I grew up in Mexico City. When yeah, I was sure. In my, I mean, that great was great example, right? So a hugely polluted. I mean, because it's high, it's so high. People don't know that it's it's like yeah. a valley that's way elevated, mm-hmm. and the pollution was so bad you could literally like walk through it. It was like you right. know the expression "cutting cut the air with a knife," like almost literally. And you know what? You know what's funny about that? You're so right about that. Cause I remember hearing about that and. Seen like maybe on television, but I didn't really interact. I didn't really go to Mexico City until I was an adult. Oh, okay, and much much later, and and even now that I've gone quite a bit, I never get that sense of it being as polluted. I mean, mm. I'm sure it's still when you rank it from like cities that are most polluted, I'm sure it's still pretty high up there. But I can't say that I that I've gone to Mexico City ever felt like oh the pollution here is just so bad, so terrible, like. I don't get, and so I do wonder what policies, if any, they put in place. They that put made, in ethanol. I mean, uh, yeah, they, they started burning, uh, instead of gasoline, like standard petrol, they started burning either ethanol or some other variation of gas that was that emitted less uh, pollution into the air. Mm-hmm. They, they started to do that in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. And it made a huge difference. Right, right, right. It's still polluted. So it's, huge. it's a huge city. Yeah. It's an enormous city, but it's nowhere near what it was when I lived there. Yeah, so, so to me, like those two points are very, as a, as a starting point, is that, Climate change is real, yeah, and that what we do as people impact the climate that we that we have, both good and bad. And I've seen the cases where it's bad, and I've also seen how policy can actually turn something that was pretty bad into something a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I use LA as an example of that, maybe because I'm most familiar because this is where I grew up, right? And like seeing it, how bad it was as a kid. Because I know I hear people complain about it all the time when they come here maybe for the first time, but they don't come very often. But like, yeah, you did not come here in the 80s because it was really, really bad. Well, it was famously known for its smog. Right, it was something right, right. you could see. When I moved here 20 years ago or so, it was even worse than it than it is now. Yeah. How about for you? What, what's your sort of starting point on the stance? On, really I, I think change? I have a similar starting point, which is obviously we can look at you know uh, weather patterns and things like ice ages and the fact that the Earth's climate has changed throughout its history, right? That's happened as far back as we can go. And in fact, that argument is sometimes used as a way to explain that what we're experiencing now is no different than we would have experienced 100,000 years ago or 2 million years ago. We just weren't here to see it. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that it's changed and that climate evolves. We've had ice ages. We've had periods of extreme heat. We've had times in the Earth's history where you had oceans where there now are deserts. I mean, we've had all different kinds mm-hmm. of huge shifts. So that I agree with. I also think it's a very fair and reasonable uh, statement to make that we have an impact on things. And that is, forget about climate for a second. Mm-hmm. That's any player in an ecosystem of any kind. This is like, what do they call that? Like super advanced form of math? Is it chaos math? Or one of these like forms of math where... Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, I, I know. It, it'll come Is to it me. chaos, maybe? No, it, no, no. It, it's... it's the whole example with the butterfly and it flaps its wings and something right, happens right, in right. Vietnam or something as a result. But any player in an ecosystem that performs an action, like all all effects, right, or all all effects have a cause and everything that you interact with is going to, you know, have an, an impact. <clears throat> so the fact that we exist in an ecosystem, which obviously I think most reasonable people would agree, 
Of course, us living in it impacts it. Look at any development. We're, we're right now in the studio. This at one point was a hilltop, you know, mm-hmm. back in the 20s or 30s with a view to the ocean not too far away. Somebody decided to clear the trees, break the ground, lay concrete and build a neighborhood out of it. Obviously, that impacts the wildlife that was here before. That impacts um, pollution because now you have cars where there weren't any before right. and motors and all. So I believe both of those things uh, are true. I'm not sure, though, if that's where really most of this conversation or argument hits uh, kind of a, the gears get caught. I think it's more about the degree to which either of those two things either happen and the degree to which we as human beings are responsible for those things. I think that's where the where the disagreements begin to be the most pronounced. I think at the edges, you have people who say climate change has never happened and it isn't happening now. But I think that that can be verified historically, geologically, et cetera, that it has. Mm-hmm. And I think you have people on the other side that says, like, we're destroying everything and we've never had anything like this before. I think those two things are kind of like a, the outlier positions mm-hmm. and there's natural tension between them. But I think most of the most of the disagreement that I've heard is how much of the climate change that exists are we 100 percent responsible for as humans? Yeah, That's but, but I think, but I think by is. immediately phrasing the question that way, then it makes it really difficult to ever take action on anything. Well, normally you start having that kind of binary point of view, which is binary in the sense that when it's 100 percent cause, well, what if it's 90 percent? OK, OK. What, what if it's 60 percent? What if it's forty percent? Then, at what point does it cut off? I think the the part that I find really interesting is that the the, the moment the question comes to, well, should we do something about it, mm-hmm. and should that something about it be ahead of or behind economic interest of that of that community? I agree with that. I think that's the that to me is the point, the rub, right? Because by even if you think about any kind of business that let's go back farming has an impact on on the environment. Of course it does. You're trying to like get as much as much product out of that out of the land. And if you overdo it, you actually kill the land that is there. And you kill your own living. You kill you kill your, your own living. Okay. That's that's fine. So the moment you're farming, you're 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 impacting your environment. But at what point is it like too harmful where people are actually okay with putting laws in place to try to protect or try to reverse things. And I feel like we find ourselves in these kind of situations where like People have this stance like, oh, yeah, maybe some climate change, but that's happened over time. And so it is what it is. But we shouldn't be doing things that could impact economic activity, impact that will have harm. I mean, you and I actually talked about this. Um, remember uh, we had as a in our previous format of Courage or Cringe, we talked about the idea that they had here in California of actually wanting to make a transition from all gas-powered, uh, like like mowing equipment yeah. to electric, right? 2024, that's when it goes into effect. Right. Two and, years. And and the fact that that was some people applauded, like that's great. Da, da, da. Others who are the ones doing the work are are fired up by it, right? I, and I get it because you're having to actually invest in equipment, et cetera. So the question becomes like, is that something that should just naturally happen over time? Like sort of by default, as people start sort of upgrading their equipment, just eventually it'll happen. Or something that as a government, you should also say, hey, if we really actually want to have cleaner air, in the same way that we force people to change the kind of engines they had, they have to do gas, uh, uh, like oil inspections, all that stuff had real impacts, both economic for those that then had to go and like fix their cars that were like leaking oil, that were like, you know, polluting a bunch of, of the streets in LA, to um, to then actually seeing that the, then you look at the environment 20 years later, 
yeah, that actually is less pollution because of that, even though there's actually more people. Sure. See what I'm saying? So like that, that's the part where, where I see the, the kind of rub. But I see, I think the issue though is also about what do we do about it and what impact does that really have on a global scale? So one of the things that I've heard as an example is, okay, let's talk about alternative forms of energy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about wind. Let's talk about solar. Let's talk about some of those things. And increasingly, I've been hearing a lot more about nuclear from places that wouldn't normally talk about nuclear. Right. But, you know, whatever, alternate forms of energy. And then when you think about what it takes to actually build these infrastructures, you can make an argument that you're actually taking from one pocket and putting it in the other in an environmental sense, meaning we're solving the situation of less cars polluting or lawnmowers sending out emissions at the same time that we're developing wind and solar from countries generally that provide the, man, the the components for these things that don't have the same approach that we do about uh, environmental care and mm-hmm. emissions. And therefore, we're creating just a crap load more pollution elsewhere in order to solve it here. Do you see what I'm saying? So No, you lost me. So, 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 all right. Yeah, so let's, just, let's uh-huh. use wind as an example. Okay. And I don't know if this is a true stat, but I've heard it said. The vast majority, okay, so let's say it's more than 60% of the components to actually build wind tur- wind equipment. So the big giant, you know, the things you go out yeah, to Vegas, yeah. and you mm-hmm. see the big things spinning in the desert. Those are made in countries like China, as an example, that are massive polluters, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, we're funding their factories to develop our clean energy stuff. But we're just kind of polluting the globe on that end in order to save it here. That is an example of what right. I what I'm referring to. Yeah. How which, do you feel about that? <clears throat> well, I think that's that's um it's 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 very uh um what's the word right word for this? Uh it's convenient uh assessment of the situation. Uh in the sense that we, we were really were worried about China's pollution level or worried about what's being done in China, that we would just stop outsourcing all the work that we get outsourced to China for just cheaper cost. Right, most of our phone technology is done out of China. Think of about That's all of point. the the issue that we had around COVID because of so much of our supply chain has now been mm-hmm. uh, exported to places like China, and that's a massive problem. That's not a that's not an issue necessarily for why we should or shouldn't invest in in renewable technology, because maybe the question should be is like, well, yeah, let's do that, but one of them let's build the manufacturing to be more self sustaining. Something that, by the way, hopefully is a lesson learned from what happened with COVID, that when you're so interconnected with the globe and the moment there's any, and, and it's all in real-time manufacturing, then you're, you're it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster the second something happens somewhere else, like the the chain reaction that happens there. So to me, that speaks into like, yeah, it also may require building out more of the capability, you know, it, with, within our shores to actually be able to support some of these renew, renewable technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't use the the fact that it will create more pollution in China to not do the investment here. Well, no, but it's not binary, though. I'm not saying that. See what I'm saying? saying like, I wouldn't saying use that as the reason because— It's not a reason. I'm just—I'm asking it as a question. I'm positing it. What? How do you not keep that being a dynamic? Where, in other words, as we invest in those technologies here, all we're doing is propping up high-polluting industries there. Do we just say, we're going to do it, but we're only going to do it if we build it here? Like, is that a solution? Well, I think part of it is— no matter where you build it, you're going to create pollution when you build it mm-hmm. in order for us to to build this renewable renewable energy or devices that create renewable energy. The question is, at the end of the day, the investment that we're doing right now is still a sunk cost. It could be, frankly, a pollution cost that we're taking out right now. Does the longer-term impact outweigh the, that, that sunk cost of the pollution? I will see, I will see it as simple as, as that. The other example- and maybe the, maybe your, your point mm-hmm. could be, and I just don't know the data, that – 
it will cause so much pollution to create these parts that even with the benefit of putting it in place, it's like when you get like solar panels, right? If it costs so much pollution to create those, then then we should then that's a fair fair question. Like, yeah, maybe that's just not the right technology. Right. See what I'm saying? Like, that's, there is that's a question a, that's a about different, that. To me, that's but a different question, right? Yeah. Like, it's just not the right technology. But I wouldn't you... take the the short term impact uh, to avoid the long term benefit if the long term benefit actually doesn't. And that could be its own argument. You could say, yeah, we are going to pollute the earth more, but we're going to do it for a very short period of time, Correct. In order to get ourselves prepared for a time when you're yeah, not. and that, that the, makes sense. I mean, if you if you if you're making that kind of trade off, I think that would that sounds reasonable to me. The other argument that gets brought up a lot that I hear is let's look at electrification, right? So in vehicles, Tesla, etc. Electricity, a huge portion of that comes from coal-fired plants, right? In other words, coal is creating the electricity that's powering this sort of clean energy. Mm -hmm. So in a way, at least as it is right now, it seems a little silly to say we're going to you know, develop all of these electric cars, but we're powering them off a grid that is powered by coal. So in other words, you you have this sort of output that's clean, but the input kind of driving that power source – is unclean or whatever you call right. coal at this point. I don't know what, what it is. Yeah. Uh, so so then I think you got to think about it in these different buckets, right? One bucket is what are the energy sources that we are very reliant as as countries that we should start thinking about moving away from, right? I think coal and oil kind of all be in that sort of that category, right? And it's, and it's for a whole set of reasons. There's a pollution issue. One of the things that we've talked about, which is as a country we're dealing with right now, is that the reality is – the players that we have to interface with, depend on, have to be interconnected to, are usually fairly shady, shady players that control lion's shares of oil reserves. Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, et cetera. Uh, Russia. Russia. <laughs> right. So so just from a pure from a pure America first perspective, we should figure out really quickly how to minimize our reduction, how to minimize our dependence, sorry, of those countries. Yeah. And almost in all cases, the places with the biggest oil reserves are the most shadiest countries and the reason for that is because it's so profitable that all this corruption kind of happened in these countries i mean saudi Arabia is so wealthy they're because swimming of, in money there's that's right so it just creates a very different dynamic right so so i think that's sort of one one argument right that we that we that you could you could you could we could talk about the second one which is the point that you're bringing up is for the types of energy sources that we will continue to need right now what are the best ways for us to create or, or secure that resource? Mm-hmm. Electricity is one, right? So now we talk about electricity, to your point, right, how it's pr- traditionally done. We can look at solar. We can you look at wind. We can look at a bunch of different ways to create nuclear, for that matter, that can create electricity. And I think there is a very fair comment that we need to look at accelerating other sources of electric power that we as a country, as a nation, as a world are going to continue to depend on now and going forward. Mm. Right. And then, so there the conversation really is not about now, not electrifying your vehicles, right? Not going to electric vehicles. Yeah. You need electric vehicles. The real question is like knowing that that's a source of, 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 of energy that we use in cars and house and what's for everything. Gonna power it, right? What's going to power it? So let's talk about have that conversation. But I feel like people get caught up in the wrong. I do I, metric, I, which is like, oh, so should we do in electric cars? The problem is not we should do electric cars. The problem is like, how do we change the source of electricity that we all depend on, not just for electric cars, yeah, but for in everything? Way, in a way, there's a variation. It's like of the, this the wrong in, argument in our that. own work that we do, which is you know a lot of this kind of diversity work that we do, where people say like, well, should we have a Spanish website? It's like, it's not the answer, right? But yeah, you probably yeah, should. You should. You should. Right. That's, you not, should. that's not the right question. That's, that's not the right question. That's not the right question. And, it's not the right, and it doesn't answer the issue. But right. but it is. Right. It's it's almost like a table stake. Right? I feel like yeah. So I feel like this electric car comment that I've heard the same thing as well. I think yeah. it's in the, we're asking the question in the wrong place. 
I think this whole argument, um, you know, and let, give me a second to try to unspool this because I don't know exactly how to say this, but I feel like, you know, both of these sides kind of talk past each other for a number of different reasons. Okay. On one side, like say the more progressive wing of the argument is this is an existential issue. This is the most important issue that we could possibly care about because if we don't have an, uh, an earthly home, then what does anything else matter? Right. This mm-hmm. kind of that argument. Right. And to support that argument, you have from very reputable sources, the fact that atmospheric carbon dioxide levels have risen. Of course, they've changed in history. You go back a million years, they've went up, they've went down. But it's the rate of increase that's happened over the last 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. that is what people are alarmed about, right? And you've got big temperatures like we talked about. You've got extreme weather. You've got all these different things. But at least on that side, it's like, this is the most important issue, and we're going to set aside all of these different policies and budgets and dollars in order to attack this. That's sort of one side of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And and a, and a big chunk of that is true, right? Now, look at the other side of it. And this is something that I, I, I hear a lot in more conservative circles mm-hmm. is an automatic um, focus on some of the inherent hypocrisy by the people who bring those positions. Okay. Now, the reason I say this is because I think both— oh, No matter what you're going to say next, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. Right. The hypocrisy feel like I, no, no, but, but this is exactly my point. It's like there's truth at both <laughs> yeah, ends yeah, yeah. and neither one of them actually engage with one another as arguments. So the other side of the equation would say, well, let's look at Al Gore, famously inconvenient truth, came out with mm-hmm. a documentary, basically forecasted a bunch of things, a number of which have not come true, et cetera, right. et cetera. And then you look at him, he lives in Nashville, Tennessee. I heard this stat today. His carbon footprint is twenty one times the size of a res of a average Nashville resident. 21 times uh-huh. greater. A guy like Bill Gates doesn't have one jet. He has four jets. Okay, right, right, They right. fly to Davos to talk about global warming and they burn fossil fuels all yeah. the way there. So the argument is, look at these hypocrites. Yeah. Now, let's assume all of that is true. And it is all hypocritical in a way, right? That the people that are like, you know, kind of take this medicine, don't take them themselves. Right. That doesn't address any of the issue either, well, right? It's yeah, like this... Yeah. It's like this crazy thing, but it's enough to get you into an argument with somebody about, no, he doesn't have four J, he has three jets, and he needs them because it's like, wait, wait, stop. Stop talking about that. It has yeah, nothing yeah, to yeah. do with what we're actually talking about. So it was, it was funny. I was listening to an episode of uh, Joe Rogan uh, yesterday, maybe, right? I forgot who he was, who he was, he was interviewing, but there was, they were talking about the whole clank, a little bit of the, the outrage that happens with celebrities, right? And people complaining about the Kardashian and the jets that they have and these really short flights. And he made a comment that there was... Um, I guess someone, this is all secondhand, but it's him saying it, right? But, but I think it speaks to the exact point that you're saying. That someone was like outraging about uh, Mark Wahlberg taking a private jet, I guess, from someone from LA, like to, to from, I, I forgot what Probably the location. Boston. No, no, no. It was something, it was a local oh, private yeah. jet flight, right? From, I don't know if it was Orange County to sure. whatever, Ventura, whatever was Skip the case, the right? Skip the 405, baby. Skip the 405, right? And how much that was impacting like climate and like the, the same kind of carbon footprint. And the comparison, well, well, if he took a bus from there to there, then that would have been like a, a lot less. And then Joe was like, this is the stupidest argument. Like you really think Mark Wahlberg should be taking a bus from Orange County to like Ventura? Right. And I think that's the silliness of some of these conversations, which is we get into this outrage of what that even that carbon footprint you know, point is like. Yeah, no, that that may be the case, but let's also recognize that in some of these cases, like 
they are operating in a very, there's very different needs and ways that these folks need to operate. Some of by pure, like just excess, right? But sometimes there's actually legit reasons why that will be the case. So you can also, like also, I think it's not a great argument to think about it from that, from that perspective. Does that make sure. sense? Of course. Um, so I think that's, that's super interesting. It, it's even this question, Charlie, about what is the, 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 you know, what is it worth the cost versus, um, like, you know, creating change versus like the cost that it'd be like too much cost. So I've been, I've been looking while we're talking on some pure research and a bunch of data here that I would love to like kind of share with you. Right. One of them was this question that they ask, um, what percentage of U.S. adults in who say stricter environmental laws and regulations are worth the cost versus they will cost too many jobs and hurt the economy, right? So let me give you the overall. Okay, the overall in 2019, September 2019, was that 65% said that it, they're worth the cost, right? So once again, stricter environmental laws and regulations, obviously with the benefit of, of helping with climate change, et cetera. And 65 versus 33% who says it will cost too many jobs, right? That was in 2019. By 2022, two years later, right, or three, I guess three years later, that number has shrunken in between the difference between now was 53% who said it's worth the cost and 45% who would say, no, it will cost too much, right? So those feel somewhat somewhat close. Now, of course, as you, you already know I'm going with this, the moment you break it up by party, it's a night and day difference, mm-hmm. right? So let me go with the, with the Democrats first because it's mm-hmm. kind of hilarious. September 19, 85% said it was worth the cost. Right, it went from eighty-five to May of twenty twenty-two. Now down to seventy-eight percent, but it's still, you know, pretty, still pretty high, still pretty high. And keep in mind with inflation going up and a of lot course. of stuff, it's still eighty-five to seventy-eight. Still really high. Money. And then in. those that said it cost too much was fourteen percent in twenty nineteen, and that went up to twenty-one percent. So in general, it's a group that thinks that we should be doing way more, and it is worth the cost to do that. Mm-hmm. When you look at Republicans, the complete almost a complete inverse. Mm-hmm. Not as extreme actually, but a complete inverse. Uh, where in 2019, 55% said that it was cost too many jobs versus 43 that it was worth the cost, 43%. By 2022, that 43% that said it was worth the cost had cut in half, down to like 24, give or take, right? Mm-hmm. Until 24, and then that it was cost too many jobs, 75%. Like we couldn't have more different views as as whether or not this is worth investing in. Yeah. And I think though, how, what, what, do you, what do you think that is? Is that just all like talking points, agendas think, that we get so caught up with? I think part of it is, uh, you know, a lot of this rests on on an ideological premise, which is we might agree on everything, but it's the instrument of how we actually execute on that change that we disagree with. So I think when you ask someone stricter policy guidelines and things like that. Maybe the Democrat mind sees this as a lot more natural, that the government has this role that regulates the way that we live our life. And generally speaking, it's benign to positive. That's generally the sense. Right. When you ask a conservative, generally the sense is the government can't get out of its own way. They screw everything up. And while I may agree with you, I don't want them in charge of doing that. So they're much more negative about the instrument of how it gets done. I think if you were to ask that question maybe a different way and say – you know, how big is this a problem? How mm-hmm. real is this a problem? Forget about, let's pretend that nobody gets to actually pass a law about what we do about it, but how big of a problem is. My guess is that you'd find much more parity between those numbers. So I have to think part of it is that. 
other part of it in today's day and age is everything has become so narrative and word tracked right. and politicized, right? Where, so whatever one person supports, the other one has to be opposed. There's either, also some of that too, right, right? Either that or if I say, yeah, the climate's a really important thing, am I aligning with the Green New Deal? Am I like in the yeah, AOC yeah, yeah. camp? Am I and, am and I there's a lot of that going on. Where the moment one party endorses, like the other one has to be against it. Like sure. it doesn't but even let's let's not move away from the comment you just made about yeah. The government. I could totally see the point that people just have a genuine just distrust of the government, that they're just not efficient, they're not gonna do it right. But in this case, I guess your your options are let the government have policies that help control how practices, how businesses operate in order to try to address climate issues. That's one. The second one is I guess I guess they're related, right? Is do nothing, right? But that do nothing also means that you're trusting businesses to do the right thing that are going to be protecting the environment while trying to maximize profit. Do you think people will actually give it that thought? I said, like, I actually trust private private businesses to do the right thing. Because I don't know who looks at a private business that if, if even for the most ethical ones, if given the chance, if it's about making your quarterly numbers or not, how many people will be like, oh, we're, and I'm sure, and people give that talk all the time, but, you know, mm. push comes to shove. I just have a hard time. Maybe I just don't believe in people that much <laughs> from that perspective that, if push comes to shove and giving the choice, there's just way too many examples of businesses just doing the wrong thing, being bad actors yeah, and I, in and order I, to make short-term financial uh, gains. That's why the reality or the truth needs to be probably somewhere in the middle on this one, which is the government has a role that private sec- that the private sector is itself not good at enforcing right, or, or executing on, things that are infrastructural, things that are defense-driven. And I, you could put – environmental care as a in that kind of defense area, if you will, right? Something that actually is trying to protect the common good. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the government has a responsibility and can actually be effective in executing some of those things where the private sector cannot be. But using the, your example of the farmer, there is a logic to the fact that if what I'm doing means my own demise, I will eventually not do it. So, but but that in and of itself, as a as an operating guideline with the technology and the ability that we have to do different things, I don't think is enough. In other words, I think businesses would find a different way to do it. Look at what happens in our business. Oh, you just out, you just offshore, can't get it done here, so we'll just offshore. We'll find a way to get it done. That's the the principal driver to business in 2022. A hundred years ago, it wouldn't have been that way. A hundred years yeah. ago, it would have been like I have a workshop. I, I, I use wood. I get wood from this area. If we clear cut this area, I'm not going to have a business. Therefore, let's not clear cut. I think that it's a different world today yeah. where now there's so many different ways to get what you need done that you can't put it at the private sector's well, only and responsibility. The, and the other thing, too, is with that, with that point is if you wait all the way till that private business has done so much harm that they themselves could harm, way before that, that community – got harmed significantly. Like sure. it, it's it, there's a longer lag. So they may be able to milk it for longer than the actual harm it does to a, to a specific community. And like that's a, you see a lot of that. Like mm-hmm. with with businesses that are polluting. I mean we've had the the water problem in uh um was it in in Detroit, right? Not in Detroit. Flint. Yeah, Flint, Michigan. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Flint, Michigan, right? Like when given the chance, like bad actors are gonna act like exactly what they are. Like bad actors who are motivated more by profit than trying to uphold. Agreed. And, and that's why I struggle with the position of of not seeing more of that, of the value of actually having these policies in place and kind of leaving it up to free markets. I understand the position 
from very very like from many traditional Republicans of being all about markets. I I, I get it. I should respect that position. I, I get it. I understand what the and that I feel like there is some of this in that argument. But free markets does not address like it doesn't greed it, and because free markets is about greed. As a yeah. matter of fact, you're counting on greed for people to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Like like the market actually balances out because everyone's greedy. Yeah. But when everyone's greedy, then people are not going to do things that could hurt their own bottom line to protect those that are that is not them, like the, the, and, the environment. And look, we also have pretty good evidence that policy prescriptions do work for this issue. Look at the, our country, right? Our country right now among – I believe it's the world, but certainly among developed nations is the least per capita polluter in the world. There was a time when we weren't that, right? Right, right. right? And, and and it does bring up very interesting and I think very reasonable questions about other massive economies like China, like India, and others right. that don't have anywhere near the kind of restraint that we have in this area, and are just like you know polluting with impunity. I think it at least it's a fair question to ask. It's a, it's a very fair question. because we all live on the same but, ball. But of do you mud. think those guys are thinking saying like, wait a minute, you guys have your runs, your decades, maybe, your maybe, your yeah centuries of pollution and now is our turn i think it depends on the player i think so you see what i'm saying like there is they might not even care they might they're just like i don't care what you guys are doing i'm gonna do it my way but i have another theory by the way that yeah. i'd love to get your thoughts on with this do you think part of it is a marketing problem yes in the sense that's where of, i was gonna go so look going back to the same study by Pew, right so there was one of the questions that they asked is uh percent of u.s adults who say that the federal government is doing too little right Against different topics. One of the topics is doing too little to reduce the effects of global climate change. 82% of Democrat uh, leaning or, or leaning Democrats said that the government is doing too little. Too little. Mm-hmm. 82%. Only 28%, like literally the inverse of numbers, which is kind of funny, of Republican leaning said that the government is doing too little. Mm-hmm. And and I pause on – forget the rest of them. Just pause on that for a second. Do you think part of it is like the fact that it's being presented as a global issue? And not presented hmm. enough as a U.S. issue because I think even that perspective, because I could totally see that argument. Like, well, wait, a why are we trying to? Why, why do we have to solve global problems where half the globe is going to not care or they're bad actors? You have China. It's easy to just blame China or blame Russia or whoever you want to pick your, you know, pick your your worst character that you want you want to pick out. Do you think part of it is that? I I definitely think it is that. And I don't know that – I would say it's marketing, but it's marketing of a deeper point. And the deeper point is the tendency that different ideological perspectives give you. And look, there's lots of different expressions of this same principle. You've heard me say uh, terms like solidarity and subsidiarity, right? Mm -hmm. In theological terms, solidarity is the idea that we're all in this together. We all lock arms. We're a global family. We, what affects me affects you in some way. That's that's solidarity. But then there's this other principle called subsidiarity, which says the person who's closest to a problem is the one that's best suited to fix that problem because they know it's happening in their backyard. I think at the very top of that waterfall, there's an ideological divergence that happens. And you have people that are much more inclined to the, to the notion of solidarity, and that leads you to this idea of a global village, the idea of the fact that we're all one, you mm-hmm. know, one big community. And so you're much more oriented to global issues than you otherwise would be. And I think you have another side of the ideological spectrum that's more about the local, the small. The, the, and, and if you take these to, to the extreme, one or either of those, if you take it too far to the extreme, it really fails ultimately. Because, yes, if somebody stalls out in front of my house and needs a tire change, can I pass a new policy in Washington to make sure that tires have no, are not are, are run flats? Like the entire world should have run flat tires. 
You could do that. Right. How effective is it going to be to get that person back yeah. on the road and home to their family? Not very. But if you flip the other script and go like, we're never going to talk about run flats and we're just going to have people stalling everywhere. So like you have to have a good mix of yeah. this. But I think a big part of that is that. And that's why the, the sort of left, more progressive side of, of the equation tends to orient itself around things like globalization, things like universality, mm-hmm. just things that are bigger, right? And the more conservative side is much more about like what's happening, local homegrown. And then that plays a role in every aspect of decision making, I think. So there's yeah. some of that. And then, yes, how you market it, of course, plays a role because if you make it seem too distant or like it's this grandiose thing that's happening, a lot of people are like, I got, I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And even that point about local community impact, I think it's a really interesting one because there then you do start seeing the differences of how people view these issues based on where they live and how much they're impacted by them, right? Sure. Historically, black communities, Hispanic communities are just been more impacted by pollution, by, you know, unsafe drinking water, all kinds of stuff like that, right? In general. There's obviously cases where that's not the case. So another little question. I'm, I'm just dropping this in as we're talking because yeah, I think they're actually really interesting, right? Sure. So another one is that this Pew Research uh, did, um, and this is actually like that was just done in May of this year, okay? Uh, they asked the question, what percent of you as adults who say it is a big or moderate problem in their local community, right? So they asked the, the, what the problem is, whether it's big or moderate. Big problem or moderate problem. So one was too much garbage, waste, and landfills. Overall, 27% of adults said it was a big problem. 59 said it wasn't, right? It was a moderate problem. But when you look at the breakout by ethnicity, you see a pretty big difference. White Americans were 22% said it's a big problem, with 56% say not it's a bigger not, problem. Yeah, it doesn't impact me. But when you look at how the black community and Latino community uh, responded to this, blacks were at 37% that said it was a big problem. So from 22 to 37, Hispanics even higher at 41% that said it's a big problem, right? So too much garbage, waste, and landfills, right? And you can kind of see like then the inverse is not much, not as much of a problem, right? So much, much bigger, sort of much more top of mind as being an issue. The other one is on pollution of lakes, rivers, and stream. Overall, 24% said it was a big problem. When you break it out by ethnicity, 19% of white said it was a big problem, compared to 38% for both black and Latino communities. Said that it was a big problem. It's a big problem, right? So like- That one's surprising Almost me. double, right? Yeah. So almost double saying pollution of lakes, rivers, and streams, right? Air pollution, 14%, overall 20 uh, white, fourteen percent white, uh, and then thirty four percent for both that black one and Hispanic. Too. Safety of drinking water, right? Uh, overall sixteen, white thirteen, blacks twenty seven, Hispanic twenty three. In all cases, every single one of these cases, Charlie, is like almost double, if not more, that uh, black communities, Latino communities, thought of of a problem that is that is that could be associated with. Like poor environmental policy. It's magnified right? for it's them. It's magnified. Does it surprise you, though, the lakes and rivers one? Not, not necessarily. Because the other ones you could accrue right to urban living. Yeah, you're right. I think so. All of Almost all of them, except for, by the way, the other one I didn't get to was lack of green space and parks. We've talked about this so sure, much, right, Charlie? Sure. Overall, 13% said it was a big problem. For whites, 10% said it was a big problem. For blacks and Hispanics, over double, 21% for both of them. Sure, and that one makes sense And why? Because they actually don't have access to many parks and green spaces. Yeah. Because a lot of it, to your point, are much more urban urban, urban living. So even this whole, like, how big the issue is, it is a function of how much people actually see the second they walk out of their house. It's life itself. It's how, you know, it's what your experience is. It's going to paint the picture of what you see. Um, And similar dynamic mm -hmm. based on income. The more upper income you are, the less you actually see that being being a problem. 
across all of them. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, and then middle lower income because once again, it's, it's, it's things that you're. It's more real for you. More real for you. Yeah. And same thing between ur, uh, urban, much higher problem against all of them versus suburban or, or, or rural. Now, based on that though, you would think it'd be easier to rally the Black and Latino community around environmental causes, and we know the reality of that is it's not. It's not as easy to rally those communities around this issue. Because you've also got the dynamic of, yeah, I realize I'd like to have more green spaces and better water, but at the end of the day, it's not in my top whatever issues. And when you look at it in terms of what voters care about across the spectrum, it doesn't necessarily bubble up to that level. Yeah, I'm trying to think what Why was from, from the research that we saw recently where environmental issues – I thought it was pretty high, Try That was in the top third. It may have been in the top third. Yeah, I think it was top. It may have been number one, right? Yeah. To your point, but I thought it was in the top third. I could be. I could be wrong. I'm just. I'm just not remembering. I just what know it was. from working the little work that we've done with, um, you know, conservation uh, organizations, or even um, forget the name of the super PAC, but I, w- I probably shouldn't name it anyway. But there was a super PAC a few years ago that was focused on environmental issues up in the Bay Area that was trying to figure out how to get mm-hmm. Latinos and blacks to actually rally behind this issue. And they were having a really hard time. Right. Now it could just be simple stuff. Like, you know, it, there's no Latinos and blacks in the building. You have a wrong strategy. You haven't translated your website. Right, all right. these different, so it could all, be that. It could be a bunch of reasons. It yeah, could be yeah, a, f- yeah, a factor yeah. of that. But generally speaking, the thought that I've, that I've heard about this is that when you have to worry about things like, you know, gas in your car, paying the rent, getting your kids safely to and from school, that those kind of real issues are also more pronounced in these communities. And yeah. therefore, as much as I care about lakes and having a green space to play, it doesn't bubble up to that level where it actually makes a difference. Yeah, that's a yeah, we'd love to have that that data so we can look at it really quickly. But yeah, I mean, it's all relative, right? So to your point, compared to some of these other issues, uh, it may not be as as top, but I, I do think it was it was high on the list. Um, but just it may not be the top the top point. Sure. Right? Uh, but it is a it's a really interesting dynamic there, and I think it kind of goes back to when it's not like the whole out of sight, out of mind thing. Yeah, it's a little bit of the global issue as being presented as global rather than a national thing. Because I walk outside like, oh, well, it looks pretty good here. Why should I have to worry about yeah, that? Exactly. I mean, there is something about that going back to marketing that we could probably do a better job of saying like, this is what's happening in Detroit. This is what's happening in. LA or in Florida or whatever, and, and kind of paint a more local picture of that to make it more real. Because you're right, the more the generally, you know, think of things like Greenpeace or you know uh, the what's it called? Uh, is it Nature Conservancy or what these mm-hmm. like the Audubon Society? Yeah. Like all these big things, they do have a a, um, a flavor that feels very broad, very right. generally speaking. Yeah, like you know, marine life. It's like there's a lot of water on the world. You know what I mean? And and so it's just, it, it's a it's a bit distant. Like that right. would be interesting if we we're going to do strategy for one of these guys to look at how, how significant a role that actually is in the perception of people about I mean, these I mean we just kind of saw in real time the how much of even some of the climate agenda was was pushed back or abandoned uh, to some degree the second that gas price started to rise a lot. Right. All of a sudden you're like, oh, no, we got to open up our reserves. We got to go in the Middle East and uh, strike some deal there to get the flow. And now gas okay, starting to come down a little bit. So is now the time then to look at an investment? I mean, it's, it's a really interesting issue in the sense that I know that the other day people was like, you know, said this, like what you see in the gas station is like everyday marketing of how the economy is doing. It's true. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And to some extent, I'm sure Democrat strategists are thinking about this daily. Like, how do we take 
this recent drop and market the hell out of it. Like, oh, like don't worry about it. See, I told you we were going to fix it. I told you we we're going to, we're going to, you know, starting to come down without actually doing the hard things that need to be done to reduce the dependency on questionable players that we've been so relying on. I've also heard that just with the gas price thing right now and inflation the way it is, I've heard this mostly in right wing um, news media that this is really just part of what has always been strategic to just rip the bandaid off. Like, screw it. We're happy with high gas prices. It is what it is. We have to make this pivot at some point. You know, even Biden recently said, yeah. or no, no, not Biden. Um, what's his name? Uh, Pete Buttigieg uh-huh. said that that this is, you know, the, I forget exactly how he phrased it, but like the beginning of the big transition or something like that. Sure. It sound, you know, had like a little bit of an Orwellian kind of touch to how yeah, he said yeah. it. So I've started to hear that too. That's like, oh, this is just, you know, this is it. You yeah, know, the, the, yeah. Like, yeah, it's going to be $8 gas until we're just going to force their hand to get all electric cars. Mm-hmm. And I think there's truth to that. I mean, frankly, is the more painful it is, the more people will be motivated to making the change. Like, if it comes to an issue with Venezuela coordinates more with Russia, coordinates more with, with uh, Middle East, all of a sudden, like, we could be in a world of pain really, really quickly. Yeah, we're dealing with some unsavory characters. So I'm saying, so we, we've continued to be in this, in this position and be very, very vulnerable as a nation because of the dependence. So there is mm. truth to this argument, as painful as it could, it could be and can be, uh, that at one moment you say, you know what, we're just going to have to take it in the chin it's a little bit of this point I was trying to make with uh, with the whole policy of trying to switch to more electric um, electric equipment for for doing uh, uh, for lawns, right? For landscaping. Thank you. Yeah, is that there? There has to be at some point a switch. Now I'm not saying it was done the right way. I'm not saying people were given enough time. Maybe you can think about all the how you do it, but I also don't entirely disagree with the go ahead and do it at some point. See what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, well, you you, you kind of have to do this either a slow transition, medium speed, or or full speed, warp speed transition. And people can always, you know, at the edges disagree with the speed of how it's happening, but it's clear. And look, you know, this week, I don't know if you caught this, but, or no, actually last week, this is Monday, we're recording. Last week, Ford laid off 800 employees. There's a lot of layoffs going on right now, but Ford laid off 800 people, 100% of which were from their gas power division. 100% of layoffs came from the gas power division. Yeah. Right, so but Ford is a company that's committed to making that transition to electric. Of course, yeah. So you can see where the ball is going, like mm-hmm. where things are headed. For me, as a driver, and this is a side point. I don't know how you feel about it, but it, it's it's a little it's sad to me, despite the environmental benefits that potentially are there, because I just love motors. I love like oh, I, you I know, agree with that. You know what I mean? Like getting oh, on a yeah. motorcycle, and I've you know like an electric motorcycle, and of course, performance and all this stuff is going to be better. But there's just something. It's like it has no soul. It has no soul. These like these electric I vehicles. Mean, I feel that way about not driving stick shift. I gotta be honest. So do I. Well, you can still drive stick shift. No, I no, mean, me personally, harder. right now, I'm not driving stick shift. Like, yeah, no, me too. This is the car that I have right now is my first car. I think my first. Yeah, I think so. I think it's my first car that I will drive every day. That is not that stick is not shift. a stick. I hate that. That's not stick I had shift. sticks for and, and on it's, purpose. Yeah, I, I love the mechanics of it. The of fact that it could stall on you, like all the extra unnecessary, completely unnecessary this day and age. Yeah. I love that. Um, and yeah, no, there's something about like an actual engine and how it feels and the, the shaking of it, the inefficiency of it, all that stuff. Like I'm almost, I'm definitely from the camp now that at one point I was even considering like, oh, should I look at a test at some point? And I'm like, 
Oh man, I, I don't know. It's like well, it's a taxi in LA, so yeah, it's not here, that here, yeah. Well, that for a whole set of reasons, but that's definitely one of them. It just feels so overplayed at this point. There's but. just something about driving a stick too. It's like you, you know, you you can imagine all of the the uh, what's actually happening in the motor, right? So like little mini explosions, the piston right. firing up, moving a crankshaft. You're more connected to the vehicle. But like a Tesla is like it's like a it's like a laptop on wheels. I mean, that's really right, what it is, right. and it's it's this a very kind nice of, laptop. It's a very nice laptop, sure, yeah. but it's this like kind of soulless experience, and it's a bummer for me to think about as much as I like motorcycles as an example that like oh we're just not gonna you know have internal combustion engines very soon. Right. Um, and in the meantime, though, I do encourage, as you you well know, everybody to just get on a motorcycle. Yeah. Significantly far more uh, efficient for gas than uh, than a car. You know, the other thing that we didn't get into is um, in this topic is that as it relates to policy, how much it still to this day gets influenced by just the amount of just massive, stupid money that gets pumped into politics. Tons of money. There's so many uh, political packs. There's so many, um, like the name of the, (laughs) what are they called? The uh, um, lobbyists. That are that are that are putting oh, pumping sure. a bunch of money in. So, one of the ones that recently came out, of course, it's not that recent because that's been known for a while. But you know, for the Democratic Party, right, the the big push to a climate agenda that Biden had promised to pass, it finally died. It's completely dead after tons of negotiation with one person. Thank you, Joe Manchin, our yeah. boy Joe Manchin, right? Who, by the way, his polling is fucking great, sky high. He should run for sky president. High. He, I think, he I should primary think, Biden. Well, no. See, I think he wouldn't. He would not be a good presidential candidate, and not because not because he wouldn't get support from his state. His state supports him because they see him as the anti-Biden. Like it's a, even Republicans, like they love the fact that he's like throwing it into their face. But that doesn't mean that it, I, I think for him is like the more he controlled the president, the more he will win local. Like his his like his seat will remain safe. But I don't think anyone wants to support right now. Him though, if Joe Manchin did, if he was the only other candidate and ran a primary challenge to Biden, do you think that he would win? No, I don't think he will win. You no. really don't? Yeah, I don't. I do. And the reason for that is because I think, I think it, I a think lot it. of his support comes from Republicans. A lot of his support is he is that little, you know, yeah. that, that that little thorn in the side, uh, thorn, thorn in the side that, that eyelash in the eye, you just can't get out of just bugging it. And people love that. People love that he has sunken all like the major platforms that Biden has tried to pass. It's true. And look, this may be the difference between polling and actual life. But, you know, I just saw a Quinnipiac poll and Biden is now in the 20s, in the high 20s. He's the most unpopular president did, we've did had you in see a century. When, when he was asked about that, uh, about the polls, what, so he what doesn't he believe about? in him. No, no, no. That's not. Well, he may have said he, it. Maybe one of them. He was like, "No, did you see? Like, yeah, I have like ninety percent support." Oh, I did see that. Yeah, but and it was. It, that, he's right. Like, it, both things are actually right. Well, not exactly. He's right in the sense that in in a matchup between him and Trump, they asked sure. the Democrats, "Would you vote for Biden?" And ninety some percent said yes. Yeah. If it's Trump, that the Democrats. By the way, what did I tell you about? It you and I have talked about this. Question. You and I talked about this a while ago. Like the best shot, shot that Biden has if Trump runs to run it. He should be like sending him love letters. Yeah, it's like that's, that's literally his only is the that is his only chance. His um, literally only chance. But I was say about Joe Manchin, right? So he just sunk the climate, uh, the climate uh, agenda. Platform, agenda. I'm sorry that that uh, that Joe Biden was trying to pass. Now, when you look at Joe Manchin, uh, who are his top industries that support him? Right is auto dealer it, it, where he ranks in terms of being like supported by different industries. For auto, it's number one for auto dealers and foreign imports. Number one for coal mining. Cool. That's number it. one for mining. Number one for natural gas transmission distribution. Number one for oil and gas. Number one for tobacco. Like this dude is like the poster child. West like, Virginia. There's so coal, much baby. money influencing sure. him. 
And it is like not surprising that like his agenda will be very much driven by the by the capital that he's getting. Into and I don't know anything about the guy. I wonder how much he's he's trying to do to help his state transition from that dependency, because that's another question. You can make a really moral case that an elected representative should defend his state's economy sure. to the extent that it's made up by coal. But the question is, knowing that that's not long for the world, how are you helping them right. get away from that dependence? I mean, look, you know, um, uh, when Hillary Clinton was running, you know, she famously said that we're going to put all the coal workers out of business or whatever it was that she said. And it's like, that was like a well, shot that of That and the deplorables? Was that, was that her? Yeah, well, it was her as well, right? That was her too. Yeah. So it's like, it's like those are... Those are uh, well, to say that she had some... <laughs> Yeah, some, some missteps uh, in that process is an uh, understatement. Do you think Michelle Obama's going to run? No. Because she came back up again pretty strong. Like, she's I, got a book coming out. She's I don't know talking why about she this would. big picture stuff. I don't, she, cause she hated being there. So she, if, if she didn't, it'd be you know, for a personal reason. I mean, hated being there in terms of the stress of being in the White House and all that stuff. Oh, got it, got it. I just think that they're in a, such a good place. Like, they came out looking like champs. Spotify, like, Netflix. They, they're literally have gotten younger since they've left the, the, you know, the White House. Yeah, younger. They're, they're young people to begin with. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like, when, when, he, was, when he was president. And I just think they have. Like their their legacy, like in most for most presidents, what happens over time, people kind of like romanticize those. That's why I think, in some extent, Reagan like is viewed like such high regard because mm-hmm. almost all presidents get romanticized to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say and, our last two will not be, but uh, no, I, I disagree with that. You I think, think so? I think even Biden, when it's all said and done, he'll be the guy that transition. Assuming that let's assume that Trump doesn't come back, okay? Yeah. He would have been the bridge to whatever comes next, and maybe that's all he needed to do—just be the bridge. Uh, and I think if he if he does that, I mean, when you look at some of the economic factors of how like how many jobs there are, the kind of bounce that we had, the fact that even with the pandemic, it's kind of now a little bit behind us now. Like, there's a lot of really positive things that has happened during his term that he doesn't get any of that credit for mm-hmm. that. And I think as you go further away, you'll maybe forget more of the uh, like the kind of falling asleep, the, right. all the little issues like that. And just look at more like the big picture items that. Yeah. So I could see him being romanticized, and then for being the one that basically would transition transition from Trump. Transition from Trump. I, yeah. I think is that. Um, I think it's, it's interesting where Trump's legacy kind of is right now. He's in the same place. People that love him, love him. The people that hate him, hate him. Like I, I but, don't know if it's gone down. But any, I'm not sure. That it's the, gone down a little bit yeah. with independence based on this on this last committee. Yeah, but it has definitely not, gone down by independence. But, but but not not a lot though. I don't yeah. Think. The I, I don't know if I agree that he'll be romanticized along like as history moves on, if whether there'll be more romance thrown to him. I think he'll I think maybe the same thing will happen that's gonna happen to Biden is that as the personality recedes into the background and people are less knowledgeable about who the person was, they'll be forced to look at what they actually did right. as a measure of their presidency. But I, I don't know if that same level of sort of romance will be attributed to him that was to, I don't know, Clinton or Reagan or whatever, um, because it's just such an unusual place yeah. where we're at. But um, OK, so just to kind of wrap this up on climate then, because mm-hmm. I, I always ask you a similar question. If you were advising, right, or if it was your – how would you – like what would you do, right? I have a couple of thoughts on what I would do. But like yeah. what would you do if you're in a position of sufficient influence to address this issue? Uh, one is I will go after young Republicans. Uh, so we didn't uh, did I cover that? I didn't. I you didn't now. cover it. No, yeah. yeah. So young Republicans actually have a very different point of view than older Republicans. Interesting. Even when they when they so one of the stats in the same peer research they mm-hmm. said percent of Republicans who say each of the following right. So one is that the federal government is doing too little 
right? So let's start with that. For Republicans who say that the federal government is doing too little to reduce the effects of climate change. So that's like the really big one. The two bookends are 60, uh, 65 plus are in the lowest. Only 18% of 65 plus Republicans say that the government is doing too little to reduce the effects of climate change. So if you're an old Republican, you think the government's already doing way too much and taking Probably too, too much, much money and it sucks what they do. Yeah, at yeah. best enough and more likely think they're already doing too much. While 47% of those that are 18, 29 Republicans or Republican leaning say that the government is is doing Not too doing. little. Interesting. So right, about so, half. So about half. So that's actually, that to me is a place to build from. Like, and you and you could literally see it, that's how the younger wonder, you go, the more mm-hmm. they think the government needs to do more. 30, 49 is like whatever the number is, it's closer to 47 than it is to 18. And it's like, it kind of spreads directly. Could a by part age. of that be the, the, t- the subject we touched on last week that you thought I was giving too much credit to the diversification of the Republican Party, but could some of that be driven by just age? The fact that the younger you are, the more diverse you're going to be. And we know that the... I think part of it is that. that. I think part of it too is the younger you are, the more you're likely to stick around in this world, the more you care for this world to be okay. Hmm. Right? I mean, I hate to say that. You're you're at the finish line. I hate to sound morbid about it, but there is so, you know, we're selfish beings in general, right? And, Mm. and, you're less concerned what's going to happen 100 years from now, for because sure. Because you're about to bite the bullet. Yeah. Well, you're not going to be around 100 years from now, right? Or let's say 50 years from now or 25 years from now, right? There's You're less, I would say, your your uh, motivation to be invested in things that could have a 20 to 30-year outlook for for ROI is a lot less than someone that is some 18 that. years old. I think there's definitely some of that. Although I do think that people do think about future generations. They think about their kids. They think about their grandkids. Sure. And if they didn't, I don't think we would hear that kind of messaging because I think that messaging is effective to say, what kind of world are you going to leave your kids and all that kind of stuff? So so that, and I think that's what we started kind of getting into, right? Which is what are the kind of policies? So going back to answer your question, I think there is a play for younger Republicans in general, right? To like really appeal to them. I also think that is not, you can't, like not all things are created equal. There are certain issues that I think in general have more favorability, right? So it's an example of that. One of the questions they ask is their favor to the fault to the following uh, initiatives to reduce the effects of climate change. One of those requiring power companies to use more energy from renewable sources, which we were talking about, right? At the lowest end uh, of those are 60, same dynamics. The older you are, the less you support it. But even at 65 plus, it was still 42% of them support that, that issue of, of having the government play a role in getting companies to use more Renewable, renewable sources. Mm-hmm. And for young Republicans, 1879, 64% of them that they actually are in favor of that. So I would break the, what I would do is get rid of the word global, like no longer talk about global climate yeah. change and talk about the things, maybe it sounds tactical, but be much more um, localized, localized, much more specific about I the things that, that people too. can see, can view. Like that whole conversation about about electric vehicles, I'm like, hey, listen, it's not just about electric vehicles. People get too caught up about the folks driving Teslas. No, no, no. This is about everyday electricity that we just spend as, as a country. Everything is driven on electricity, right? Like, so we got to start figuring out better ways to get to more efficiently get electricity out for us to be able to use where every person can benefit, not just the guy driving the Tesla. Yeah. Right. Or the gal driving the Tesla It's like for what you want to have at home and and make that like hyper local messaging relevant to a lot more people. Why that matters to them? I would definitely agree with the localization. My prescription would be a big part of localization for sure. From a policy standpoint, I think it would also be a lot of public part, pri- public private partnerships and things like that. 
But I think from a messaging standpoint, Jesus, what I would also do is lean into the things that people are thinking but not saying, which are the things that we talked about at the top of the show. If they came out, if like a big part of the policy and the messaging of these policies was like, listen, we know that generally speaking from a global pollution standpoint, we're actually doing pretty well compared to the rest of the developing nations. We have to continue to do our part. Here's how we're going to hold other nations accountable so that they do theirs. Like really leaning on that kind of thing. And then the second one is, you know, addressing this issue about what we have to invest in now may do, may have some impact to, 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 the, to the environment, but it's for a long-term uh, impact. I think that they, we kind of skirt or the forces that be skirt around that issue, and then it's always something that people can fall back on. It's like, you know, we're going to do all this stuff now, but we're really just maybe creating pollution elsewhere. And, you know, I don't know how they could address the whole Bill Gates or Al Gore situation, but somehow addressing that kind of hypocrisy thing would be important. The interesting analog to this is going to church. This is a very interesting analog. It's like, well, yeah, give me, some, give me that one. This, it's, it happens all the time. Why don't you go to church? I've been to church. They're all hypocrites there. It's like, okay, what does it have to do with whether or not God is real and whether or not the faith teaches something that's true? Like, I get that people are hypocritical. They might not live up to it, but I always listen to that and go, it's like saying I don't go to the gym because everybody there is out of shape. Who cares? Right. It's a gym, right? So in a similar way, it could be somehow deflating that balloon about the fact that the people talking the loudest about it don't have, they're not often living by their own advice. Like, there's a way to somehow short circuit that because that is a big motivator for a lot of people who are like, why am I going to listen to you, man? You're just a total hypocrite. I'm not saying it's logical. I'm saying it's illogical. Even if a person was literally setting bonfires in their backyard and polluting and burning tar, rubber tires, and they're saying we need to do something about the environment, what they're saying would actually be true. Even if what they were doing, it's just harder to listen to. It's harder to listen to. So that would be kind of my Yeah. I guess who the spokespeople are to making this change happen matters because that message. But I do think being very focused on the things that feel most real to people that they can kind of wrap their heads around. Sure. Uh, really pushing on those issues first and the places we find one agreement on. Another one of those in this, and now this is the last data one that I'll, I promise, which is the, 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 the whole question about providing a tax credit to businesses for developing carbon capture storage, carbon capture or carbon storage, right? There, the differences in support between know what young, that is. What is that? So, yeah, so there's a part of the bills that they've been talking about is giving people tax credits. So as companies, so the more they are actually doing creating technologies that allow for carbon capture to literally clean up the clean up the environment, because the way that most companies have talked about being carbon neutral is like, oh, if I burn X, X amount of diesel fuel, I'm going to plant X amount of trees. And while that's good and that's awesome, it, it doesn't necessarily clean up the area that the pollution that they're creating, right? It helps some, but it's not a one, one-to-one. In this case, it's actually talking about new technology that can help actually reverse the amount of pollution there are in certain certain areas. Mm. So creating those kind of like tax incentives to do this kind of technology. And there you see a a pretty like close alignment on, once again, look at that age gap where on the lowest end, the 65 plus, 71% of them agree that this is important to do or or they will support it. And 73% of of those that are ages 29 also agree. So so there's like basically no difference. They're like in the 72%. Where Democrats are like eighty eight percent, okay, they're higher, but that's still a good place of agreement, of course, that we can lean on. So I will be much more uh, like surgical about the issues that you can push forward, 
and, and so I think that's that would be important thing. And frankly, the, the other part is you really got to look at the political system that we have and the amount of money that goes into lobbying and the ability for that to actually influence the political process. Heck I think yeah. that's a big part of the part of the problem. Uh, pro- not just on this topic, not just on like this, yeah, hundred other topics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. You ready to move on to our courage or cringe for the week? Uh, I'm excited. Yes. All yes, right. Let's nice. do it. I'm gonna let you go first this time because you were um, you came in like ready. You had your topic. I'm I, yeah, I'm ready. I wanted I wanted to give you more context, but I'm probably not gonna be able to give it to you enough context right now. But I will say, my courage of the week is I was looking at and some it's a courage. That's good. Very I'm positive. trying to be positive. positive I'm trying more positive spin. in life. I like that. I like that. So my courage of the week is I saw clips, uh, not the full interview, but but a number of clips of the interview that Representative Liz Cheney did um, on Fox News this past Sunday, mm-hmm. where she was kind of getting grilled. And I forget not the name of the of the the talent from Fox News that was, but it was guy or girl, a guy. Yeah, o- was older. it like regular news news? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure if you saw him, you would know exactly who it is. I just don't know who it is, right? Um, but I, I thought she was really good of actually addressing the issues uh, head on, right? Because like as an example, one of the things that, that she was asked immediately, like, uh, why is it, like, uh, how do you feel the fact that this has been so politicized? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, okay? So just just go with me. Just, I'm all off of memory. Like, the whole, they basically, she was getting questioned the fact, like, how much of a real, uh, like, process can we really count on this, being that it was so political, being that... Uh, basically, the repo- like there, there isn't that counterbalance to defend the issues that are there, right? And and what she responded, she basically said, "Look, we try to actually have a third party committee do this, and uh, the leadership on the on the um, on McCarthy on the Republican side basically did not want that at all. So that ended up stopping that. So the only choice we had was to do this kind of committee. And even when it went when it came time to choose who the members were going to be." When two of the members were rejected, and I forget that one is, I, I know exactly. Jordan and forget the other guy. Then the guy just pulled himself pulled completely, out. Uh, pulled out, out of the process. It was like, that doesn't negate the fact that that this is something that we need to be able to do. And the, and the fact that, that every, almost the majority of every person that has been part of this committee, that has been interviewed, as mostly Republicans. Like, they were, and I think they were very uh, specific about that. I think they were very smart about making sure that people that were part of the inner circle, that were Republicans, that are the primary people that are actually giving the, the like the testimony, saying what actually happened, so it doesn't come off as being a pure kind of political. The witnesses you're talking about. The witnesses, about. yeah, yeah. So I yeah. thought that was actually really interesting. So her whole interview, I thought she was really good about handling the issues, handling the questions. Uh, how much impact is at the end of the day actually it has in people's changing people's perspective of what he did or didn't? I don't know, man. I, I do think that on the independent side, you are seeing, like I said, and I, I've seen the the data before, but I don't remember what now what what the difference is. Where there there is some uh what seems to be a little bit of a shift from independence saying, Yeah, this guy was a bad actor, yeah, sore loser, and really did a lot of stuff to A, he was way more aware that none of the whole thing about about it being a solution was actually true. We, he was aware because a bunch of people from his own inner circle told him it wasn't true. And number two, how little he actually acted to try to stop it once it got going. I think the whole question of how much he's personally responsible for creating or personally responsible for like dictating people to go and, right. and attack the Capitol is, is one that's that I think, frankly, maybe a case of what you didn't do as opposed to what you did. Do. I think it's a lot more what you didn't do. Yeah. Um, and uh, when you're the president, you have to wear both of those responsibilities. You, you do. You have to. Right. So I just thought it was a really good interview that she did. Uh, oh, and, check it and out. I, yeah, and I, I really like the way she answered a lot, a lot of these, a lot of these questions. And even when they came, the whole issue around 
really trying to reposition the thing about like, what about the security? Why wasn't the Capitol Police ready enough? And they just talked about that as part of the committee. They have a whole group that is focused specifically on just all of the the actual uh, like policing that happened, how prepared they were. So there is an effort that is basically focused on that. Mm. But it doesn't take away with like the actions that the president had, and to your point, the lack of action the president right. did to actually want you know be able to stop this. So the action to try to like literally overturn the elections, yeah, and how like extreme he actually went, and then the inaction once violence occurred in the in the, in the Capitol. So, so I'm courage on that. Your courage for Liz Cheney. Mm-hmm. Wow, pigs do fly, Jesus. You know, once in a while, it's going to be a good day. Um, yeah, so I've got a, I've a, mine's a cringe for this week. Uh, although I do have an honorable mention that I'll do really quickly, which is a courage, so I can kind of balance it out. So my cringe on the subject that we were actually talking about, which is climate change, goes to our previous vice president Al Gore. Many listeners may not even recall when Al Gore was the vice president, but I promise you, he was at one point. So um, I think this actually went down on Friday. If I'm not mistaken. No, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. It went it went down over the weekend that former Vice President Al Gore compared, quote, climate deniers to law enforcement officials who waited more than an hour to attack the gunman in the Uvalde, Texas oh. uh, incidents. Here's the actual quote. You know, the climate deniers are really in some ways similar to all of those 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde who were waiting outside an unlocked door while the children were being massacred, end quote. So, <clears throat> yeah. in a world of influencing and gaining friends to a cause. Now, bear in mind, he could say, I'm not talking about regular people. I'm talking about climate deniers, the, this fringe we talked about that, that doesn't believe anything right, is right, happening. Right, right. But that's not how people hear things. They hear, a lot of people would hear this as like, if I have any question about this, if I'm not with AOC and the Green New Deal, I am one of these people. This is a deplorables thing, right? Where like, she said something stupid, but it was stupid in large part because of how many people own that as her talking about them when maybe she wasn't talking about them, but it doesn't matter. So it's like that kind of language adds to the politicization of this issue, which is already super political and just doesn't influence anybody. You're basically comparing people who may not agree with your point of view to, you know, you're saying they're cowards and whatever, you know, and while, while children are being massacred. I mean, it's just... Really, really bad. So that's my cringe. Here, and I'd love your thoughts, but here's my courage, and it's completely yeah. Too wow, you just. Really I don't know we're gonna do this. No, no, no. no. Honorable, no, honorable mention only to balance it out because you need right. the courage. Uh-huh. So uh, just today, as a matter of fact, this uh-huh. morning, the CEO of Raising Canes, founder, a guy named Todd Todd Graves. If you don't have a Raising Canes, they make chicken tenders. Purchased fifty thousand Mega Millions lottery tickets. Apparently, there's a a, a jackpot right now that's estimated at eight hundred and ten million dollars. He bought fifty thousand tickets and says that if any of them wins, he's going to e- you know equally disperse the winnings to all the employees at Raising Canes. So I give uh, the CEO of Raising Canes a courage for that. That's that's a very creative way to like not give people raises. I like that. There it gives them hope. Oh, we didn't win. Sorry. Yeah, he's like, oh, sucks. It's terrible. That's the breaks. <laughs> Fifty thousand. I mean, I wonder what that costs. Is it a dollar? Is it a dollar a ticket? I don't know how this stuff. Yeah, works. probably. 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 Right? So it's not even that much money. It, it, that's my point. It's like a, it's like it's a it's a it's a gray way to not give people raises. Um, there you go. That is hilarious. That's my honorable mention. Courage for the week. Uh, I would have been courage on that one. I'll, um, g- I'll give you a bite at the apple if you have another one that you want to share. No, no, no. I I wanted to respond to what you said yeah, yeah, about tell uh, me about Gore about Al Gore. Look, I, I think yeah, it's terrible in so many different ways. I, I do see your point about terrible and putting people in the deplorables. So feeling like if you're not this, then you're like the worst of that. But honestly, if it was just this, I'd be okay with it. 
like I will because he's been so adamant about his position of where he is for climate change that you know if he takes a take like that or like I, if you're those deniers in that extreme case, then I think right. I'm not saying it's a good effective way to get people to to join your cause. I'm not saying any of those things, but I could actually live with that. What I think is so terrible is if I'm in the if I'm a parent, if I'm a relative of one of these kids, and I hear some dumbass politician making. Using the massacre, using this tragedy that happened with my children as a way to throw to get political points, I think that's completely unrelated. Get out of here! Like that is so terrible. That's so so bad for that reason. That's why there's nothing to defend this this comment. And I think it's it's uh, yeah, man. For it's, I'm actually surprised because I think Al Gore is a pretty smart guy. And this is a uh, like you would think just he's getting not, older. You know what I mean? Maybe he's just. Uh, I don't know, man. That's a that is. Uh, hopefully, that's just just really like a moment of just lack of judgment. I hope like, so. Like he did this really, on, really uh, bad. He did this on Meet the Press Sunday night with Chuck Todd, and I didn't even read the rest of the quote. But the yeah, it's the, it's so bad. That's that's just yeah. The rest of so the quote bad. is: They heard screams. They heard gunshots, and nobody stepped forward. Again, in the context. Of- yeah, no, I, I, I hear you, but that's that's just so, so bad. That's yeah. so bad. No disagreement from me, my friend. All right. Well, there you go. That's our three courage or cringes for the week. And in lightning fashion, too. Cool. Anything else, Jesus? Uh, no. All right, that's my it. friends. Hope you're enjoying the new format, the new show. We remember, we remind you, rather, as always, to continue to live a life unsiloed. We'll see you again next week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.